everyone, it's Greg Trzvasti with the Find Your Film Podcast. This is episode 160. For this installment, Eric Holmes interviews Trip Jennings, the director behind the new documentary, Elemental Reimagined Wildfire. And yes, it's a documentary about wildfires, climate change, what we as a society can do to educate ourselves on wildfires and maybe, hopefully, as Trip Jennings says in his interview with Eric Holmes, that maybe five years from now, the information that is given out or the insights that are given out in this documentary might be old or passe because we have moved on to, I'm not saying solving the whole wildfire problem, but maybe there may be solutions down the line which could save a lot of homes, a lot of lives, et cetera, et cetera. So again, watching a movie, a documentary about wildfires may not be your cup of tea, but if it's a value added and Eric Holmes, a, a person I really trust, he gave the doc five stars. So I'm excited to actually really enjoyed his interview with Trip Jennings. I'm excited to see this documentary, Elemental Reimagined Wildfire. I also have a very quick interview with Anthony what is his name? Anthony Mandler, I believe. Yes, Anthony Mandler, the director behind Surrounded. I love Westerns. I love Letitia Wright. She is a very great actress, and I love Jamie Bell. They are front and center, actually. It's Letitia Wright's movie. Jamie Bell is her right-hand man. He's a co-star in this Western, and it's called Surrounded. The plot synopsis centers, quote, on a former Buffalo soldier named Mo Washington, and she's played by Letitia Wright. She travels west to lay claim on a gold mine after her stagecoach is ambushed. Mo is tasked with holding a dangerous outlaw captive. That outlaw is, by the way, Jamie Bell. That outlaw captive and must survive the day when the bandit's gang tries to free him. It is a very tight, lean, muscular plot. Jamie Bell's an outlaw, the bad, quote-unquote, bad person. And Mo Washington is our protagonist, the former Buffalo soldier played by Letitia Wright. She is fantastic and surrounded. I'm going to get to the, I will review it with Bruce and Eric this week on cinematics, but I highly recommend surrounded. The only complaint though is it's on digital June 20th in North American markets and it is worth watching in the theaters because there is an amazing, amazing stagecoach sequence that took my breath away. And the whole movie itself just completely works. Letitia Wright's very good in it, excellent in it. And Jamie Bell, he's very, he's always dependable, but he's very good as the outlaw. Also making an appearance, and I'm assuming one of his last films is, is um, let me look up his name just so I don't screw up his name right now. It also stars, by the way, Jeffrey Donovan. But who is the late actor who's in this movie? He was in The Wire. Yes, Michael Kenneth Williams, or I think some people some people call him Michael K. Williams. But he's Michael Kenneth Williams is excellent in this movie as well, and he stars. He some he appears somewhere in the middle of Surrounded, and it's a very good moment with him and Letitia and Jamie Bell. So very good stuff. Surrounded, and my interview with Anthony Mandler is he talks about shooting that stagecoach sequence, and he also towards the end discusses his appreciation because of course we're fine your film so i ask all these favorite movie questions and eric asks all these what's in the box questions but anyways anthony manler talks about his appreciation for the michael mann film heat as well as the films of michelangelo or do you say michelangelo or michelangelo i'm gonna say michelangelo antonioni the italian filmmaker behind such films as la note l'eclisse i don't know if i'm pronouncing it correctly and blow up. I remember watching Antonio's blow up 
back in college, back at UCLA, so many, many moons ago and being blown away by that film and Italian cinema. And I think, yeah, yes, of course. I also really enjoyed that movie, La Ventura, which is directed by Antonioni. If you do not know much about Antonioni, it's a very good choice from Anthony Mandler. He talks about his passion for European cinema. Maybe that artistry has infused itself within the commercial the driven confines of surrounded because surrounded i'm sure probably cost a pity a pity a pretty penny to make but i'm i'm sure it's not like one of these big budget studios where big big budget movies that are like 150 to 200 million but it looks like a very expensive film who knows maybe it's not and he, he just knows how to shoot movies but anthony mandler it's really cool that he has a very fond passion or just a very acute let's just say acute taste for european cinema and he notes the the works of michelangelo antonioni as as sort of his muse along with the michael mann film heat so that's i have an interview with anthony mander there's an interview with trip jennings from elemental reimagined wildfire but first before those interviews there is a we do a very quick, like eight or nine minute movie recommendations with me, Bruce and Eric. We we're just talking about find your film recommendations for the week. And finally, last but not least, for Blu-ray giveaways, I have three Blu-rays available of this movie called I Am T-Rex, courtesy again of Wellgo USA Entertainment. Thank you to them for just hooking us up with a lot of physical media to give you guys. If you want more information on this giveaway for I Am T-Rex, by the way, it's I Am T-Rex is described as a quote, an animated fantasy adventure for the whole family. I was going to say mammally. That does not make sense. An animated fantasy adventure for the whole family. Quote, the battle for Green Valley begins on digital, Blu-ray, and DVD on June 20th, available with an all-new English dub. Again, three Blu-rays of I Am T-Rex. You can find the giveaway specifically on our Find Your Film website. Anyways, without further ado, here is Bruce... Eric and I talking about movies for you guys to watch, some recommendations. If you have any recommendations, hit us up on info at Find Your Films. Tell us some movies you've been watching or you would like to to see because I, I really want to get some movie recommendations. And I don't want just to be in the echo chamber of just me, Eric, and Bruce recommending films. Okay, thank you so much for supporting us. Here, first up, is our recommendations. Then we are fo- then it follows up with my interview with Anthony Mandler for Surrounded. And last but not least is the Elemental Reimagined Wildfire conducted by Eric Holmes, his interview of Trip Jennings. All right, guys. Take care. Bye. Hey, guys. We're back. Find your film. We have a, we have a little recommendation segment. Eric did an interview. We, we put it on this podcast. Like, what, what you did an Elemental thing. Uh, you, we, so we're going to talk about that. And, you know, what's Elemental? How did that interview go with Trip? You liked it? Uh, yeah. Uh, so on my end, it didn't go so good because uh, there was a bunch of uh, problems on my end. Um, had nothing to do with them, but uh, it, it, the interview turned out really good uh, with Trip Jennings. Uh, and he's uh, he's a talker. And thank God, because uh, I just wasn't in the mind space for it. But um, yeah, the, the interview turned out great completely because of him. And he made a fantastic documentary to boot. So Elemental Reimagine Wildfire. Uh, should be out on Tiva Digital uh, on June. Actually, right now. If oh, you're listening to this, out. it's out right now. Okay, and so check out Eric's interview later in the segment for Find Your Film Podcast. But 
This is not the Eric segment. This is not the Greg segment. This is the Find Your Film recommendation segment because Bruce Perky watches about 40 films per week. You have a slew of recommendations that you're going to rifle through for us, uh, time permitting. Bruce, what can our Find Your Film brethren see over this week, over the weekend that you really would recommend or maybe not recommend? I'm just going to weed it down to two. Uh, first of all, and one of them I go very fast on, and that is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, if I remembered correctly, because they all sound like the same title, <laughs> Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, everyone's raving about it. I think it, they're rightfully raving about it. Uh, I took the kids to it. They wanted to see it. Uh, if you liked the original Spider-Verse movie, I think you'll also like this movie. Uh, what is the selling point? Uh, it's it, Okay, first of all, the non-selling point is it's another multiverse movie. So that might drive a lot of people away. But boy, oh boy, is it a pretty darn good version of that of that sub-genre genre. And what is great about these movies, if you've seen the first one, even more of it in this is the incredible level of imagination behind the animation, the styles of animation, the way they interweave multiple different styles depending on the different iterations of spider person that you get in which world they're in you get entire sub worlds that have their own style along to go along with their own spider person uh, it's it's a ton of fun it never stops moving uh the score is one of my favorite scores of the year too it's it's fantastic uh this is just a great time at the movies and it's a great movie to see in the theaters because it's so big and so bold it's great. Feels like a five star film for me, for you. Yes, five stars for sure. Definitely be yeah. one of the best animated movies of the year. And to see it come from a big studio and to see it be a big movie like that is is heartening. It's, we get a few of those a year, and it's nice that they're still being made. Uh, and once again, Lord and Miller just keep producing incredible stuff. And I think that their their legend is growing. So. Okay, this is very cool. And what is your second movie recommendation? Oops. This is one that everyone can watch, and it's 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 a it's a cool little movie. And I kind of like to bring these like solid, easy watches. Well, if you have Shutter, once again, if you have Shutter, but I feel like this is one of those movies that might start popping up other places too. Uh, and that's Brooklyn Forty Five. I do want to kind of credit a William Lindis on the Movie Bears podcast because I think he brought this to us first when he saw it at uh, it, either he saw it at South by Southwest or he saw it at Sundance. No, he doesn't Sundance. I don't think he got that. So it must have been South by Southwest that he saw this. Um, Brooklyn 45. And that is now directed by Ted Gilgan. Gilgan? I don't know how to say it. Um, this is a cool little movie. I and I would By the bet, way, sorry, sorry, Bruce. Do yeah. you know Ted Gilgan? He he provides the screening links. He's, he's did he? a publicist as well. He does. Yeah. Oh anyways. I, I knew I knew that name. I was like, why yeah. do I know that name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is a chamber piece. And these can be great, and they can sometimes not be great. Sometimes they feel like COVID movies. This movie works, I think, in a lot of ways. And that is, it's a really basic setup. It's Brooklyn in 1945. Go figure. Brooklyn 45. And it starts out with all of these friends meeting at the, at a house, or it's like a brownstone, right? And they meet there. And you find out very quickly that they're all friends who have some connection, had some connection with World War II. It's just ended in the last year or so. And they all had a part in World War II. You know, one of them's a colonel. You find out the woman that's there with her, her, her husband, she was known as one of the best interrogators, surprisingly. Uh, and you get the idea right, right out of the gate, they all have skeletons in their closet. 
And the one person that brought them there, his wife recently committed suicide. And he is out of his mind about it. He can't, he's not able to deal with life very well. Very well. He's called all of his friends there to have this evening together because he wants to have a seance. And right out of the gate, they're like, whatever seance, this is not for us. The military guy's like, I don't do this. I don't do seances. And he basically convinces them all for me. It, it means a lot to me. I, I, any chance I can have to possibly contact her, it really means a lot. And they have the seance and it leads to really, really cool, dramatic stuff. And this is not a big gory movie. This is not a big special effects movie. There is hardly any special effects. There's hardly any quote ghosts. It's more like what happens in the little kickoff of the seance leads to basically all of the stuff coming out of the closets that have, that has happened to these people throughout the war. And um, it's, it's really, really a lot of fun and uh, some great character work in here. Uh, I wouldn't say it, it a thousand percent works as far as, I mean, cinematically it's pretty enclosed. Like I said, it's a chamber piece. But if you like those kind of things, almost like an extended um, Twilight Zone or an extended uh, Black Mirror or whatever, not Black Mirror because it's not tech-based, but that style, that kind of feel, I think you could really find a lot to, to love in this movie, Brooklyn 45. Brooklyn 45. That it's, you, by the way, regarding Ted, a couple of screeners that he sent us over the last couple of years, The Wanting Mayor. And most recently, <laughs> oh boy, the wanting mayor. <laughs> and most wasn't recently, for me, but yes, I think it was for Eric. If I recall, yeah, Eric liked it a lot. I thought, yeah, I liked it as well. I yeah. liked it as well. And then also, re- most recently, Moon Garden. So, yeah, that was cool. Right? Yeah. So yeah, that's shout out to Ted. And uh, yeah, he's we we actually contact him and look, you you recommended Brooklyn Forty Five. Are you going to watch it, Eric? Holmes? For- uh, yeah, because I'm I'm looking up the cast. It's got Larry Fessenden. Yes, it was in uh, Spine of Night and uh, Jacob's Wife, which I, I remember <laughs> liking Jacob's Wife, not loving it, but Spine of Night was that that was good. And Dashcam, and course, he'll be yeah. a, and he'll be in Killers of the Flower Moon. So good wow. for him. Okay, so yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna definitely check it out. Thank you so much for your recommendation. Oh, I have a little movie before we go for finding your film. Yeah, uh, thank you for your two recommendations. I recommend a small film. It's on Netflix. It's called Extraction Two. Stars Chris Hemsworth. Lots of action. If you love action movies, I told Bruce and Eric they had a full plate. They don't have to see the Netflix movie, but I I highly suggest this movie. It, it's very if you love wall to wall action. I don't know. I know you like wall to wall action, Eric. I think this is a definite no brainer recommendation for people who love Chris Hemsworth and action driven movies. Extraction Two. Eric Holmes. See it now. Bruce, I don't know if wall-to-wall action sequences is something that floats your boat, but that's, I don't know. That's neither here nor there. I don't know. I didn't, I still haven't seen Extraction, the first Extraction, so I'm going to go back and watch Extraction, but Extraction 2, I ended up really loving. But I don't think, Bruce, with your time, I don't think you're ever, ever going to get to it. Maybe if one of your sons watches it, they might love <laughs> Makes it. Makes me watch there's, it or something. <laughs> there's a 21-minute action sequence. I believe it's in, it's either the train sequence or the prison sequence. It's a total standout. Eric Holmes, you need to watch it because you're an action aficionado. That is it for our final film recommendations. Thank you guys so much. Eric, you want to say something before you go? Because uh, you, you oh, oh, no. I, 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 was, uh, I was looking up the director, the Sam Hargrave, and I was like, where do I know that name from? But he did the first extraction. So that's probably where I heard the name from. <laughs> there you go. These indie filmmakers. Uh, all makes really, sense. All yeah, makes sense. Indie driven stuff from Find Your Film Extraction too. I don't, I don't know. But thank you. Thank you. I can't wait for Brooklyn 45. That should be very, very good as well. So, all right, guys. We'll see you next week here on Find Your Film. See you guys next time. <laughs>
Hi, I'm Greg Trzvansky with Deepest Dream. Pleasure to meet you, Anthony. Nice to meet you, Greg. So I'm a huge Western fan, and I loved how Surrounded was just visually immersive. Obviously, that takes a lot of work. Can you just, in layman's terms, talk about just preparing just the whole visual language for Surrounded because it was very impressive. Thank you. You know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of of the genre. Um, I actually wrote my my film school paper on Shane to Unforgiven. So I think I've always had sort of a great love of the classic tropes. But you know, I think the idea of of turning those tropes inside out and then adding adding a social context to it, a layer to it that really re- relates to today. Um, that's what really attracted me to the movie. I think when you when you sign on to a Western, you know you're signing on to making a movie that's going to be hard. You know, we 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 chose a, a location two hours north of Santa Fe called Abiquiu Ghost Ranch, where um, really they don't they don't make a lot of movies there. It's a very very tumultuous Jurassic landscape that that is really beautiful from every angle. So. It's not a it's not a kind of genre of film where you think it's going to be easy. You're going to be out in the cold and out in the, out in the elements for for months on end. And so, what I think it does is it, it creates a palette and a temperature that the actors sort of you can't really escape it. It's not like you're in a air conditioned studio and you can go back to your room. You're sort of just out there, and it it keeps you sort of insulated in your character. You know the um, the cliche is when a movie star he or she they can really fill that frame and. What do you see in Leticia just as a collaborator and as an artist that she really does fill that frame? And, and it's very, a very rare quality to have, maybe, I, I'm assuming. Oh, she's an explosive artist that, that, that garners an incredible power. Um, but she's very small and, and can be very quiet and, and very sort of humble and, and, and simple. And then when she wants to, she lets it go and she has this incredible energy that fills the frame. And you can't stop watching her. Um, and I think that, you know, they say like, you want to photograph your subjects and she just demands the camera's attention in her eyes, in her being, even when she doesn't say anything, you know, and that's, that's a very unique power. Without giving too much away, I remember I was reading somewhere that uh, Orson Welles studied stagecoach for Citizen Kane without giving too much away. There's a stagecoach scene, which is how how did you how did you do that? Where it's sort of a runaway situation? Is it? I'm thinking this has to be some kind of uh, CGI situation. I don't know what's going on because it's just a thrilling moment. There's so many thrilling. But how did you mount that scene? I just regret regretfully some very authentic stagecoaches were destroyed. Um, it was a very tough scene to shoot. Probably the hardest scene I've ever shot in my life because you know. Um, you're using real horses and, you know, you have to be very careful on how you work with horses to make sure that they don't get injured, especially out in that terrain. So we're really working close with our horse wranglers and, and our advisors to make sure that we're not pushing them to a place where there's danger. But then obviously we need speed and propulsion to make it look real. So, you know, you're, you're doing every trick in the book to make sure it feels heightened and elevated and still raw and, and exciting. If you watch a lot of old stagecoach sequences, you can really tell that they're you know, just shaking the stagecoach, shooting at the sky. And, and sometimes that really works for a shot. You, you'd be surprised when you get somebody throwing dust and shaking a stagecoach and you shoot with the wrong right lens, you can really feel like you're in the moment. But you can't substitute the big, wide action sequences and things that, um, that really sell the moment. And certainly there's a very dramatic ending to that that is not CGI at all. It's actually real. 
That's amazing. And, you know, some Westerns, yeah. they're just really good on the visuals, the, the, but the script might be lacking or vice versa. But Surrounded has both of them. I guess in simple terms, how were you able to just perfect both? Because it's so hard to actually make a tale um, very well balanced, I suppose. Well, I think they're they're exclusive of each other and, and intrinsically tied to each other. I think, you know, when we're when we're creating a story or I'm working with a writer to to evolve a script, obviously character and story is first. But you know, what makes me a director and not a writer is that when I'm working with a writer, I'm injecting a visual language into it. So what I find is the scripts that I developed, you know, not like other other directors are not writers, have a visual language sort of written into it. So when you read it, you can really feel it. A lot of I do a lot of like books and visuals and mood boards and I use music and I I spend a lot of time scouting films and spending time on location and and I don't really shot list or storyboard. I sort of create these collages and then I bring my 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 heads of departments into that conversation and they add their piece. And then that becomes sort of a casting sort of book that when we have our actors, we sit and we really do. I like to do a lot of rehearsals, a lot of table reads, a lot of in sort of comfortable home environment or outside the middle of nowhere rehearsals where we sort of discover the language and the interaction and the feel. And then, you know, that starts to become a language of, well, how do we document this thing that we've just created? And even after all the preparation, I like to come to set and sort of throw that away. You know, obviously on on, on the long six minute opening shot, you know, you can't throw that away. But I think, you know, one thing I learned a lot of in the short form um, format is, is you got to be ready to make changes. You know, Jay-Z walks on set and goes, yeah, I don't like that. Let's do this. You have to, okay, what, what can I do? How do we, and taking a little bit of that mechanism and applying it to movies, you know, and just saying, trusting your process. I know my days. I know how to get through it. I know what I'm doing. I know where I am in the story. I know like the directors sometimes lose their place in the story and then they get confused. And I don't, I've never had that problem, you know, so I've always sort of know where I am in the process. Um, so it's a process of sort of like holding the reins and letting them go for me, you know. You mentioned it just in that answer, so many different departments and influences. Is it just simply just focusing, like you, people like to say one game at a time. Is it just focusing it on one part at a time? Is that what keeps you focused as a filmmaker? Because there, there could be so many different influences pulling you on a, on a day-to-day basis. I think it's a, a macro and a micro mechanism. You've got to be able to do the micro and manage the small things, but always have your eye on the big picture. You know, I think that's what makes a director really for me, you know, is that is it's one of the key elements of being able to be a leader, being able to carve enough time for self thought and self realization and self visualization, and then be able to recommunicate that out and then accept back what you're giving back, whether it's from an actor, from your production designer, from an editor, from a producer, from a studio, you're constantly filtering and pushing it out and taking it back in. And that's why they call it a collaboration, right? So, you know, being a leader on top of it, you have to, you know, if people look over and the director is not leading the ship, that's when ships go down. You know, that's when you see movies really struggle, I think. Anthony, my final question is just sort of a, might be a little bit of a harder question, but can you, as a cinephile, can you name a movie that you feel is maybe overlooked or underrated, but you really love wholeheartedly? And what is it about this specific movie that resonates with you? Well, I'm, I'm kind of like a, like a lover of European cinema. So I think most of the European films are overlooked when it comes to mass market. You know, for me, Fellini, Antonioni, 
Um, those were my two favorites. Um, movies like Blow Up, Zabriskie Point, Eclipse, La Note. These are masterpieces that are heralded as masterpieces mainly to an international audience and a cinephile audience. But I think for mass entertainment, people overlook the you know, the resonance of a film and how it can sort of change your life. You know, you can watch a movie, it can change your being. When it comes to Hollywood, you know, like I'm a, on the, on the other hand, I'm a great lover of the sort of action movies of the eighties and into the nineties, you know, the diehards of the world, you know, heat is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, everybody loves heat. I love it for a different reason. I love it because it's not the action or, or the drama. It's the fact that it's a movie about a bunch of guys that didn't get the American dream. And in the post-Reagan economics and post-Vietnam and, and, and this era we're living in, it, it symbolizes somebody's people's willingness to take matters in their own hands, you know, at all costs. And it's the, the, the meeting of that character arc, that ethos of the character and this incredible action that make it such a brilliant movie, a brilliant movie way beyond, I think, its regard of brilliance, you know. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. Really love Surrounded. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your time. I'm here with uh, Trip Jennings, director of Elemental. I, I, I guess the one thing I always want to ask um, directors of something like this is like kind of uh, um, what's your sort of take on uh, the truth of like documentary type filmmaking? Hmm. The truth of documentary, like like the truthiness. Is it? <laughs> what do you? Yeah, mean? yeah. Well, well, like so. You know, when you do a documentary, um, you know, obviously, like every edit's a lie, that sort of thing. But sure. you, you can find truth within that. What, what do you suppose the, uh, um, as a filmmaker, what do you suppose? Sure. That, that, like, I, I, I can't, I can't even think of like the, how close uh, are we getting? What, what, what's your responsibility as far as uh, being a filmmaker? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll say. I mean, okay. So I'll just take that. I'll take that on for myself, right? Um, it's hard to speak for the rest of the, you know, the, the sort of the rest of the industry, but, but look, I, I work my day job, you know, I work for PBS producing a show about wild, uh, excuse me, about extreme weather, climate, and how it's changing and how we can prepare, right? So it's very similar to elemental, but multi-threat, you know, it's, it's, um, we're talking about hurricanes, we're talking about floods, we're talking about sort of all of it. And it was extremely important to me that this documentary be as bulletproof in a fact check as anything else I've ever done. Everything that is said in our film is backed up and can be backed up by peer reviewed science, you know, scientific papers that have been published. That's really important to me because we are engaging in a space where there's a lot of contention around what we should do, you know, to make ourselves safe as the climate warms, as fires become more destructive, right? And if we're going to be basing public policy that, you know, potentially risks or saves lives and homes that in, in numbers that are going to be, you know, increasing in ways that we, I think we can't imagine at this point, we've got to be using the best available science. It's got to be peer reviewed. And people publishing, people creating anything about this, this sort of, um, work, you know, how we're going to adapt to a warming, changing world. It's got to be as accurate as possible. So I brought basically the same rigor to this as I bring to something that would get past a PBS fact check. And 
Yeah, I don't think that that's true about every climate change documentary. I mean, I, you know, I got to say that I, I think that there's plenty of um, films that wouldn't pass a fact check. And even within that, even within that fact check, what you focus on, what you believe is the most important and what you pitch as the most important can really change. Even if everything is factually cited in a scientific paper, the emphasis, you know, the time that you give to each idea that can't be fact checked. Right. And so, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we did our due diligence to make sure that our viewers could watch this piece. And I deeply believe that this is the way that the the conversation around wildfire is going. Like, I think in five years, elemental would, would be boring to watch because we will all know this, you know, everybody who's involved in wildfire would be like, Oh yeah, that's the way it is. Because I think this is the way that we're going. And, and if you're, you know, if you're focusing on the wrong things that sort of aren't real um, and don't reflect just, yeah, don't reflect reality. I don't think you're going to ever get there. Right. Like you'll always be kind of pushing up against this wall that, that like that, what you know, that will prevent this idea from spreading the way it needs to. So, um, so yeah, I think, I mean, I think we have a huge responsibility to be, you know, to do our viewers justice and be respectful to our viewers not only to allow them to make their own decisions with the information that we presented but also focus on and weight our focus on different topics appropriately and you know in this film that, that is that was my aim so yeah. I, I you know future will future will be the uh the sort of verdict of how we did on that. I'm glad, I'm glad you say that because a, a lot of times I'll watch documentaries where it, it looks cooked. And even though I agree with the the sentiment, I'm like, dude, you're not doing us any favors. Like you don't got to lie about Trump to make him look like an a-hole. There's, there's plenty of actual factual information that backs you up there. You know? Yeah. I completely agree. And, and like the thing that I will say as an argument, like in favor of this film is that I went into it believing a different thing about fire. And believing that we were going to tell a different story than we came out with. I went in thinking that we were going to focus almost exclusively on things like prescribed fire on, you know, we need to put more fire on the ground. That is the solution to this problem. And within six months of, of filming, I had a handful of people really change my understanding. And in fact, the really the first big shoot, a researcher, said to me, yeah, prescribed fire is good. We need that. It can be an ecological benefit to the forest. But whatever you do more than 100 feet from the home or the structure you want to protect from wildfire, outside of 100 feet, so like a, a very big yard, for example, farther away than that, it doesn't really have much effect on whether or not the home burns in a wildfire. And so I immediately thought, that guy's wrong. Like, that's definitely not, you know. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't believe that. But if you watch the film, I, I mean, I literally spent five years convincing myself that he was right, just researching this idea. And so, I mean, I think that it's unusual in this day and age of, of really quick um, news, you know, the pressure to get news and to get analysis out instantly means that we usually don't, don't get to take the time to really deeply research an issue like this and believe and be able to say, you know, with confidence, I believe this is, it does encapsulate the issue very accurately. 
And so, so yeah, I mean, this is actually, it's, it's actually very different than the film that I set out to create. And I, through the film, basically invite viewers into this journey with me. So I actually speaking of that, what, what was the journey just saying, uh, like the behind the scenes stuff of, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, I got an idea of a movie I want to make to the movie that you make. And as you say, the, the ideas change as, uh, you make it. Yeah. So they're kind of like three points. The initial point was this fire happened outside of Portland, Oregon, 40, 50 miles, um, east of Portland and in a wilderness area. Very few homes, no, no, no homes were burned. Only really one structure was burned and people were really losing their mind. People were freaking out. They were saying, oh, this is, you know, this area is destroyed. And I wanted to say, Hey, look, this area has changed significantly, but it's not destroyed. It hadn't burned in almost a hundred years. So this is a good thing. I wanted to talk about the benefits of wildfire and the benefits of prescribed fire. So I started started working on this um, idea, and then I had this conversation I was referencing earlier, where someone said, "Look, if you want homes and communities not to burn down, you got to focus on the home, and within a hundred feet of the home. So doing all this prescribed fire might be good for the forest, but it's not going to change the the problem of homes burning." And that really confused me. So I started going down this path of like, okay. There's this lab in South Carolina, which you see in the film, where they build and burn down homes in a lab. Um, in this big airplane hangar, they create realistic wildfire conditions, hurricane force winds. They build these homes. They burn them down. They figure out the weak points, right? So started researching this. And then the campfire happened. And you, know, you can see that that was a pivotal moment, not only for me in understanding fire, but really for, I think, everybody who's paying attention to wildfire safety, right? 18,000 homes or structures were burned. 86 people died. You know, it really changed. It was, it was just suddenly everything became, how do we prevent this disaster from happening again? And, and that's what we started researching in the film. That's the question. It's a central question. How do we make sure there's never another paradise? And since then, there have been disasters that have been very close. Thankfully, not as large. But, um, but yeah, so, so those three points really like that was, with, they shaped my understanding of fire and of the questions that needed to be asked. And so, yeah, so the film is basically me, you know, finding the smartest, the best researchers, the indigenous cultures, um, the firefighters who could answer those questions. How are we going to live and thrive in a hotter, drier West, a hotter, drier East as well? Um, and, and, you know, I think we came out with an answer that is very, that is truthful, you know, that I think we will all be like, oh, I'm glad that we made that change once we do. <laughs> why, 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 uh, this is probably a huge question, but why do you suppose humans are so self-destructive, not just with climate change, but just in general? Uh, we, we, we'll, we'll go for anything that will hurt us uh, personally or uh, as a society. Uh, I mean, we, we, we as lean a, more as on a that than the, uh, Yeah, uh, this, this might... My answer might seem obvious based on my job, <laughs> but I think stories, I think stories are why we stories and narratives control the decisions that we make. Right. And we learn those stories from the people around us and the people around us have a specific set of experiences on which, you know, to base, to base 
this, this, this reality, right? These stories that we create. And climate change presents a specific and difficult challenge for humans because we built cultures, we built entire societies during a very stable climate, 6,000, maybe 10,000 years of very stable climate. All of the narratives that we believe were created during that time. During that time, we went from a couple million people on Earth to billions of people, 7 billion people, right? 8 billion people. Um, so it's not, it's not surprising that the narratives that we built during that time no longer are serving us during a time in which climate is changing faster than it ever has in our history, right? So we need to reframe, we need to reimagine, we need to relearn new stories. And that's what this film is about. This is about telling different stories about wildfire. And I think that's true about climate change in general, right? Like, I think we are telling stories that are no longer serving us. And we have to change those stories if we're going to survive. Yeah. Well, um, I guess uh, uh, that will segue into the uh, last question. Uh, uh, as far as stories that serve us, uh, we have a what's in the box segment. We like people to put kind of underseen movies in the box that we can watch lately. But I, I just kind of I'll just kind of lean into that, that last comment. Like, what's a what's a movie do you think? that you think is kind of important that uh, shines light, not necessarily on wildfire or climate change, but just on something uh, that you feel is really important or maybe tell, or maybe a uh, narrative movie that would uh, speak a similar truth. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say one that I loved. It's sort of guilty pleasure, but I, I really, I recently watched uh, how to blow up a pipeline. Oh yeah. Love that one. And I just like, I mean, you know, I don't think we can go around just blowing up pipelines and that's not going to like solve our problems, but boy, was it cathartic and <laughs> fun to watch, right? Like, it was just like, oh man, I loved it. And, um, you know, again, like whatever, we've got to sort of temper our expectations of like, of change, right? Yeah. Um, in some I, ways. I, actually, also... with, the, with, with the blow up, the uh, how to blow up a pipeline, do you think like is as extreme as that idea is? I mean, aren't we going to get to a point, it, like, if we don't change things for the better, won't it end up, like, won't that be the, the necessary or the necessary conclusion at some point? Um, I think that we, it's a tough, it's a tough call. Like, I, I, I don't mean, want to gouge someone's eyes out, but if you're choking me at some point, your eyes are going to be gouged out. Like, I'll, you know, I'll have nothing left, I'll have nothing left to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, honestly, I think as like, look. I am a white dude, middle class. I got a lot of privilege. My eyes are not being gouged out at this moment, you know, by, yeah. by climate change. I'm probably going to be kind of okay. What I think that how to blow up a pipeline did was it highlighted, it, it took characters with minimal story development, um, but powerful story development. And it showed the consequences of creating a situation in which people have no other options and this extremely cathartic outcome. Right. And I think that's, that is maybe the, the most important sort of part of that, right. Is that we all should be grappling with, right. Like there are plenty of people who currently have a bleeding neck wound and they need, that is their priority. Their priority is stopping the bleeding of that bleeding neck wound. Right. Yeah, And so I think that that's, I think what's like, I would love to see a transition away from fossil fuels 
I would love to see a transition um, that is a just transition that works for everyone. And honestly, I think part of that is building is using the best available science to build new structures that are going to serve us as the climate changes, um, you know, to, to get off of fossil fuels, to um, quit cutting down so many trees, you know, or at least for the wrong reasons. Um, all of this, all of this stuff, right, that we do that makes climate change, um, that exacerbates climate change, right? I would like to see all of that happen in a way that we don't need to, that we don't create people who, or we don't create situations where people just don't have any other options. Right. Um, and, and feel that they have, you know, that they've been left out and, and the only option is to blow up a pipeline. Right. I, I don't, I like, I want us to live great, happy, fulfilled lives and not have to do that sort of thing. So, so yeah, I hope we change the stories and the narratives before it gets to that point. And plenty of people right now would say, trip, it's at that point. That's why, that's why that movie had such resonance with so many people. I saw it in a sold out theater after really? it had been for a couple of weeks. Like that movie's resonating with people. Um, so yeah. So I think that's why we need to like, we need to get after it. Like we need to be making the changes before we all feel that we have bleeding neck wounds. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's the idea, but humans are self-destructive. All happen. Where are we in that? <laughs> we're we're going to have to go for the eyes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, but uh, anyway, uh, thanks for joining me, and I uh, hope everyone gets to uh, watch Element. Okay, hey, I gotta say, I think that um, I think that I want to invite people to watch this film because I believe I, I really believe that there is great potential for us to change the outcome of all of these fires. We're not going to have less fires anytime soon. We are going to continue to see destruction from wildfires, and I think that we can continue to to adapt to climate change in a way that works for us as a society at least as as far as wildfire so i want to invite everyone to watch this film it's streaming june 13th on apple and amazon check it out go to elementalfilm.com and there's a link to the streaming and we'd love to hear what you thought of it so thank you so much for this time and chatting with me yes thank you very much